Well, now we continue our Momentum uh, series through the finish line, a study of Second Chronicles. And God didn't call us to follow Christ to just simply start the race. Uh, he called on us to finish the race. And by the grace of God, we will be a church of finishers and not just uh, starters. Keys to finishing well. Just a reminder uh, for this, I bought a bunch of these for uh, you guys called Finish Strong. These wristbands, maybe you've seen me with mine up here. And we've got them available at the Resource Center. They cost me a, a dollar a piece. And so if you got a buck, put it down. If you don't, just consider this an early Christmas gift from Kimberly and me. We are just such big spenders, a dollar a piece on these things. And so consider it a Christmas gift from us. But I encourage you to get those out at the uh, Resource Center as a reminder. And really, there's a built-in story behind this because this is the attempt at rebranding the Live Strong ones, the yellow ones that were Lance Armstrong. And because Lance Armstrong is like a perfect example of starting well and not finishing well, there's a movie out this weekend about Lance Armstrong and just all uh, the way that he made a wrong turn later in life. And so this is their attempt at rebranding. And so it's highly appropriate that when we see finish strong, it reminds us that it is possible to finish not so strong. Uh, just look at Lance Armstrong. Just look at Asa and the other kings that we've been studying in this series from Second Chronicles. And so even if you don't wear wristbands, just maybe get it and put it on your dresser or put it um, next to your bathroom mirror as a reminder that we want to finish strong. Paul writes in Acts 20, verse 24, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. At the end of his life, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. And why don't we read this out loud together? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now Asa, the king we're looking at this morning, had a strong start. He was good and right. It says in chapter 14, verse 2, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Boy, there's something I'd love to have written on my tombstone. Not anytime soon, but eventually I would like it to be there. Uh, wouldn't you like that on there? Bill or Julie or Guillermo uh, or Juliet uh, did what was right and good in the eyes of the Lord his God. There's no better tribute to our life than that. He removed the foreign altars and the high places, smashed the sacred stones, these are idols, and cut down the Asherah poles. These were also idols. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places. This means he was a second mile kind of guy. There were so many that simply destroyed the idols, but they did not destroy the worship of the true God, but in the wrong place. See, the high places were on hills and mountains where they worshiped God, but they didn't do it at the temple like they should. They worshiped the right God, but in the wrong place. Well, he went the extra mile, just not the wrong gods, but the right God in the wrong place. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah. The kingdom was at peace under him. Now, this is what we see, this theme, all through this series. Whenever God begins to stir in their hearts, it manifests itself in building something, in refreshing something, in revitalizing something, in restoring something. He built up the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. No one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. Let us build up these towns, he said to Judah, and put walls around them with towers, gates, and bars. 
Okay, just like we're doing with our momentum campaign. Let's, let's put walls around the campus with towers, gates, and bars. Let's, let's enhance the outside appearance of it. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought him, and he has given us rest on every side, and so they built and prospered. Number two, he was dependent on God. It says in verse 11, Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we've come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. One of my favorite two verses in the Bible is Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. You know, the key to coming to Christ is you got to swallow your pride. Really, so much of the time, what it comes down to is our pride. Kimberly shared her testimony at the flood service on Thursday night in Claremont. And I've heard her testimony many times, but it had been a number of years since I'd heard it. And the theme of her testimony was she had to swallow her pride to follow Christ. Jesus said, unless you come to me like a little child. And what is it about children? They have no pretenses. They have no pride they need to swallow. And so Jesus says, you got to come like a child. Monday was one of the greatest days in my life. We took our three-year-old granddaughter, Kylie, to Disneyland. Now, that is a cosmic event. That is like an explosion of cuteness that just goes on and on and on. And every time she'd meet one of the princesses or her heroes, Minnie Mouse, and she clung to Minnie when she met her. And we had to actually drag her off of Minnie because she just clung to her. And why do we love children in those environments? Because they come without pretense. They come humbly. And Jesus said, that's the way we got to come. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. So many people today, and and, and intellect is not bad. God uses intellect. God uses intelligence. But they worship their intelligence. They worship their intellect. My dad's one of his favorite sayings. And my dad believed in education, had his master's degree years ago, and that wasn't a common thing. And so he believed in education. But he used to point out certain people and say, that, that guy is educated beyond his intelligence. I always got a kick out of that. You know, we need to use it as a tool to honor God, but not to worship it. And so many people worship their intellects. Uh, they worship their IQs. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Next page in your study outline. Or the strong man boast of his strength, whatever our strength is. Let's not boast about that. Nor the rich man boast of his riches. Sometimes we're dependent on our income, or our ability to raise money, or our ability to make money, or our possessions. Don't Those are, are good things, strength, riches, wisdom. Those are all things God can use, but don't ultimately depend on those. Swallow your pride and your strength, your riches, and in your intellect. But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me. God says, that's what's worth boasting about. That you know God. That you grow in your understanding of God. That I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. And then number three, he went the extra mile in seeking the Lord. It says in verse one of chapter 15, the spirit of God came on Azariah. He's a prophet, son of Obed. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, I love this line. The Lord is with you when you are with him. This, these passages have some of my great verses in all the Bible. The Lord is with you when you are with him. 
Sometimes we, I spend my life trying to get God on my side. I say, God, I came up with this plan. Now come and bless it. God, I came up with this great idea. Now bless it, bless it, bless it. My prayers are like 99%. God, here's what I came up with. Bless it, bless it, bless it, bless it. And there's that book, Experiencing God, and the Experiencing God principle, which I just love, which says, why don't we take that same time and wait on God until we figure out what he wants done? And then you hardly even have to pray about it. Just jump on board with what God is up to, and then you hardly have to pray because you know he's in it because it was his idea to begin with. And so spend more of our prayer life, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with saying God bless it, but spend more of our prayer life waiting on God. God, what do you want done? And then once we jump on board with God, we naturally have the current or the wind at our back. When we pray, it has power because it's something that was his idea, not our idea. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he'll forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach and without the law. But in their success, they turned to the Lord. Boy, it doesn't say that, does it? Isn't it a bummer? How many wish it did say that? I wish it did. It says, in their, what's the word? You tell me. Distress. Boy, it just seems like it's in our distress that we seek after God. It says we're walking out of the doctor's office and he or she told us something we didn't care to hear. It's when we're walking out of the boss's office and they told us that we've been downsized or something we didn't want to hear or we've been laid off or we've been fired. It's when we're walking out of the classroom and we got a grade on that test that is not good. It's when we're, the love of our life is walking out the door. It is, it is in our distress. It's when that child or that grandchild is breaking our hearts. It is in our distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. In those days, it was not safe to travel about. Kind of sounds like the Middle East today, doesn't it? In those days, it was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the land were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another, and one city by another, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. That's why God allows distress in our lives, because that's when we turn to him. But then he gives this word of encouragement to Asa. Azariah says to Asa, but as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. You know, it's not an accident that you're at church here this morning. Um, I believe that God called you here just to hear the word of a prophet from 2,700 years ago. From 2,700 years ago, the, the word of this prophet is the word that God wants to say to you. How many of you ever get tired of being good? Ever get tired of being good? You just kind of hang in there in the Christian life, and you're slugging it out, and you're trying to do the right thing, and after a while you say, God, where is this getting me? I'm tired of being good. Just every once in a while, wouldn't it be fun to just like be bad for a month or something like that? Just like a take a time off from being good month and we're just going to be bad for a month, you know. Um, uh, but what does he say here? He says to Asa the same thing that he wants to, to say to you. But as for you, be strong and do not give up for your work will be rewarded. This prophet from 2,700 years ago has invited, God has invited you to hear this prophetic word in your life. He says to you, you be strong, 
Don't give up because your work is going to be rewarded. That's what church is all about. We need Azariahs in our life. We need each other. That's why we need small groups and life groups and Sunday school classes and Bible study and support groups and, and why we need church because vision leaks over time. Commitment leaks over time. So we need Azariahs in our life or we need a group of Azariahs that will keep us faithful in our race to finish well and not just start well. You guys have heard me say this before. It's one of my favorite illustrations from Steve Farrar. A great hunter was walking through a jungle in Africa and he came into a clearing and was startled to see a huge rhinoceros lying in the grass dead. As he walked to the other side of this massive animal, he was even more startled to see a pygmy. Did you just kill this rhino? asked the hunter. Well, yes, I did, said the pygmy proudly. Well, I don't mean to be offensive, but how could a small man like you kill such a large animal like this? I killed it with my club, responded the pygmy. That's incredible. How big is your club? The pygmy paused and then said, there's about a hundred of us in my club. <laughs> and, and we all need a club, don't we? We can't beat the rhinoceroses of our life on our own. We get discouraged. We need a club. We need to do it together. And, and that's what Azariah here does for Asa. When Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Azariah, son of Obed, the prophet, he took courage. And now he goes on round two of cleaning up idol worship in Israel. He had done like, or Judah. He had done like halfway before, and now he gets re-encouraged, reinvigorated, and he does round two. And that's what we need sometimes. We get rid of some of the big idols in our life when we come to Christ, and sometimes we need an Azariah to encourage us, let's go to round two. Let's get rid of the rest of them. Let, let's get rid of the rest of the idols in the land. And so he took courage, and he removed the detestable idols from the whole land, not just part of the land, the whole land of Judah and Benjamin. And so we get re-encouraged. We say, let's go after every nook and cranny. I took care of the living room. I took care of the kitchen in my life. Let's go for the closets. Let's go for the basement. Let's go for the attic. The whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the towns he had captured in the hills of Ephraim. And here's that theme again. He repaired the altar of the Lord. Remember that theme? The condition of the temple is a reflection of the, the condition of the people's hearts. And the condition of our temple, of our campus, is a reflection of the condition of our hearts. And now when he gets serious about the things of God, he repairs the altar of the Lord. And that's exactly what we're doing, what Pastor Peter was just talking about in our Momentum campaign. We're, we're, we're repairing the altar. We're refreshing. We're restoring the altar. And let me encourage you, as he did, that if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago when I shared this vision uh, for the next few years, once a year we have a big vision Sunday, and once every few years, six or seven years, we have a really big vision Sunday. Where are we going for the next few years? The army gets its marching orders, so we march in unity with each other. And so if you weren't at that a few weeks ago, please get a hold of this Momentum uh, packet. It's at the north part of the lobby and the south end of the lobby and the northwest exit right here. Get a hold of this. Uh, listen to my message. I'd encourage you to do that. It's got a CD if you want to listen in your car. It's got a DVD if you want to watch it. You can watch it online, but I encourage you to get a hold of this and uh, so that we can all march in concert with each other, fulfilling the vision that God has given us. And if you haven't gotten that commitment card in, to pray over that and see what God would lead you to do so that together 
we know what God uh, wants us to do. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. Skipping down to verse 12, they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart and soul. Skipping down to verse 15, all Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God, what's the next word? You tell me. Eagerly. You say, you know, I've been seeking after God and I really haven't found him. Well, God promises that if you seek him eagerly, he says, if you seek me with your whole heart, I guarantee you will find me. Not half-heartedly, not half-baked. They sought God eagerly, and he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. And then number four, he was willing to make the tough choices. Boy, Asa is, the, 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 is just the, the key example in the Bible of making uh, the tough choices uh, in the Christian life. It's about doing the right thing and making the tough choice to do the right thing, but sometimes to get rid of things in our life. Maybe there's an activity that's holding you back in your walk with God, and you've got to make the tough choice to get rid of that. Maybe there's a TV show in your life that's holding you back. You've got to make the tough decision to get rid of that thing. Maybe there's a habit that's holding you back. You've got to make the tough decision to get rid of that. You go to Celebrate Recovery, where we deal with hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and, and you deal with that thing. Maybe it's a relationship that you've got to uh, get rid of because it's holding you back in your pursuit of God. Institutions have to do this. Institutions, churches, denominations, um, Christian schools, um, high, higher education, Christian institutions, if they don't make the heart decisions, they fade over time. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about the life cycle where it's birth and growth, and then it peaks and then it begins to decline. And so you have organizations, wonderful organizations like YMCA that are wonderful organizations today but not following after their Christian mission. Harvard, founded as a Bible school, wonderful educational institution, but it's lost its Christian commitment. And this happens. Commitment to the cause of Christ leaks over time. Vision leaks over time. And you gotta make the tough decisions. I remember my alma mater, Wheaton College, a few years back, one of the professors began to drift in his commitment to the statement of faith of, of Wheaton College. And so the president fired him. And the students were all protesting, and front page article on the Wall Street Journal just made him look like a fool, made him look like some out-of-touch Neanderthal, some member of the Taliban. I mean, it just made him look like an idiot. And I wrote him a letter. I wanted to be an Azariah to that Asa. And I wrote him a letter. I said, as an alumnus of your school, I applaud you making that tough decision. Because you know what happens to institutions that don't make the tough decisions? They fade in their Christian commitment over time. And we see examples of it all the time. There's two springs of water, I'm told, in the Colorado Rockies that are about 40 feet apart from each other. But they're on the continental divide, so the water from one spring ends up in the Pacific Ocean, and the water from the other spring ends up in the Atlantic Ocean. They start very close to each other, but they end up in very different places. And sometimes it's those little decisions, those little commitments uh, the, as it says in, in, in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes, or Song of Solomon, it, it's the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. And sometimes it's the little things in our Christian life, the little compromises that cause us to end up in the Atlantic instead of in the Pacific, even though we start very close to each other. And for 143 years, our church has been willing to make the tough decisions 
to make the tough forward decisions and our momentum. And this momentum campaign is one of those tough decisions to move ahead. And the tough decisions to deal with false teaching, to deal with drifting in our commitment to the cause of Christ. Sometimes the biggest one of all is just drifting in our commitment to sacrificing to reach lost people for Christ. You know, people, that's the biggest one of all. People get comfortable. We get comfortable. I'd love to just hang out until Jesus comes. But there's a lost world out there. And that's probably the biggest compromise of all, to just say, you know what? Uh, we've done enough. We don't need to reach any more people. We just want, us, we want our comfort to be a higher priority than sacrificing to reach people for Christ. And so we got to make those hard decisions. Out of the blue, this guy calls me this week, wants to go out to lunch with me. And he's a church consultant in, in this area. We'd never met before. He takes me out to lunch. I said, what do you want to get together about? He says, he said, I just wanted to meet you. He says, I've been in Southern California for a number of years. And you know, your church, Pomona First Baptist, has a five-star reputation in the community in Southern California. He says, I just wanted to meet you. And I said, well, it's nothing to do with me. It's the people, the church, over 143 years that have made those tough choices. But he said, I, you know what? He says, you guys just have this five-star reputation over many years, over a long period of time. How does that happen? And it happens because we make the tough choices to sacrifice for the lost, to continue to move ahead with momentum steps that we've talked about in our momentum campaign, and to deal with wrong things when they crop up within the life of our church. Now, I tell you, King Asa is the mother of all examples, or maybe the grandmother of all examples of this. It says, King Asa also deposed his grandmother, Makah. He canned grandma. He fired grandma. Is that about the toughest decision you've ever heard of? King Asa also deposed his grandmother, Makah, from her position as queen mother because she made a repulsive image for the worship of Asherah. Grandma made an idol, and so he fired grandma. Asa cut it down, broke it up, burned it in the Kidron Valley, Although he did not remove the high places from Israel. You say, hey, I thought it said earlier he removed them. Oh, yeah, they creep back, though. Like weeds, the high places creep back. The idol worship creeps back. you got to keep whacking back the weeds all the time. You can't just do it in your 20s and 30s. you got to keep whacking in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. got to keep whacking those high places back. Although he did not remove the high places from Israel. Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. Strong, strong start. But unfortunately, here's our pattern. We've seen all through 2 Chronicles, a weak finish. Is that the saddest thing ever? He's at the 26-mile mark of a marathon. So what has he got? Like another 200 yards to go or something like that? And he makes a right a right answer. Now, I shouldn't make fun of him, even though I find that so funny. I shouldn't make fun. Because I've told you my story before, Right? How my senior year in college, my home cross-country course, five, and I have this terrible sense of direction. Whenever we're in staff meetings, I'm going, well, we got to do something about this building over here. And the whole staff goes, Glenn, it's over there. And, uh, and that's why Peter Torrey sits on the front row, because I go, well, it's over here. And he goes, no, Glenn, it's over here. You know? So I have no sense of direction. So I led a whole group of runners my senior year on my home course on a right-hand turn. We should have gone straight, and we ended up in a swamp up to our waist in water. 
they had to cancel the rate. It was, it was headlines in the newspaper, idiot moron runner leads the group into swamp. It was just like, I just lived with it for years to come at, at my uh, alma mater. Uh, it took a right-hand turn at the end. Number one, he depended on foreign alliances instead of on God. You see there in verses 1 through 6, chapter 16, he says, you know what? It kind of worked to depend on God earlier in life, but now I'm older, I'm wiser, and I think I need to do it through political alliances. I think I need to hire mercenaries from Syria to protect me against the northern part of uh, Israel, against uh, Judah there. And so he gets confronted by this by another prophet by the name of Hanani. Azariah confronted him or encouraged him when he was younger in his ministry. Now Hananiah, the seer, another name for prophet, is set to confront him in the later part of his life. And he shot the messenger when confronted. He didn't literally shoot him, but you know the term, shoot the messenger, means to reject uh, their message. Verse 7, at that time Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram, that's the term for Syria today, and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Love this verse. Here's another great one. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Don't you want to be one of those? Don't you want to be one of those where God's looking over all of planet Earth and he's looking for people whose hearts are fully committed to him so he can come in and strengthen them? That's what he's doing here today. That's why he called you here today because he sees your heart for the things of God. Here you are on the first day of the week of overall in a Veterans Day weekend and, and here you are to worship God, to study his work. Your hearts are committed to him and his eyes range throughout the earth to come and strengthen you. Hang in there because your reward is coming, if not in this life, in heaven for eternity. But he says to him, you've done a foolish thing and from now on you're gonna be at war. Now this is a key moment in Asa's life. Key moment, when, I, when Kimberly and I spoke on David, and you go online, you can see that message there um, from, Mon, from what we did in Montana. But there's that moment when David is confronted by Nathan, and he has this great response, I'm the man. Didn't blame his parents, didn't blame society, didn't blame uh, Bathsheba. He says, I'm the one that did wrong. And as a result, David falls later in life, but he gets back up again and has a strong finish. And if Asa can respond well to this confrontation, he may fall, but he can get back up and he can still finish strongly. If he doesn't have a good response, he's going to stay on the ground and finish falling short of the finish line. And so he confronts him. Asa was angry with the seer because of this. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. We always talk here at PFB about Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth to each other in love. That's how we grow. It's when you point light on my blind spots, that's how I can grow. When I shine light on your blind spots, that's how you can grow. Our blind spots rule us, but when we speak the truth and love to each other, that's how we can grow. And, and I always talk about we need to have the courage to do that with each other, but there's another whole side to that. you got to be a good receiver of truth as well. And if any time you point out a blind spot to me, If I get angry with you and throw you in prison, how many times are you going to keep doing that? You're going to give up after a while, aren't you? 
And that's exactly what happens here. He shoots the messenger. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. But wounds from a friend, somebody that's not just criticizing you to put you down, that's not a friend, but somebody that out of love wounds you, those are wounds that can be trusted. And when we receive it, we can grow and we can continue to run our race well. And that's what keeps us from making right-hand turns 200 yards from the finish line if somebody can just confront us in that way. And then number three, he took out his guilty feelings on other people. It's always interesting to me that the person that's most in the wrong is often the nastiest in the relationship. You ever notice that to be true? You have a breakup of a marriage, and whoever is most at fault for that breakup of the marriage, they're the one that's just so mean to their former marriage partner. You just see it. Breakup of a business relationship, the, the one that's most at fault in that is the one that's so mean uh, to the other former business partner. And it's out of guilt. It's these guilty feelings. It says in verse 10, at the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. He brutally oppressed them. Why? Because he knew in his heart that he was on the wrong path. That's what happens in these countries. Pastor Peter was just talking about uh, the day of prayer for the persecuted church. You pull out that insert that you've got right there, you see that fascinating thing that uh, Pastor Shom and the Global Impact Department have provided for us. The top 10 countries for persecution in the world. Top 10. This is a top 10 list you do not want to be on. Top 10 persecutors of Christians. Do you know that Christians are the most persecuted group of people in the world? That's a, that's a secular statistic. That is not a Christian statistic. That is secular statistic that the most brutally oppressed group of people in the world today are followers of Christ. Now, you won't hear that in the media very often. But researchers have found this to, to be true. And there's this brutal oppression going on that Pastor Peter was just talking about, why we pray today for the persecuted church and can I just do a little bit of a historical tangent? This is not a thus saith the Lord moment. This is just kind of a, Glenn's going to ramble for a couple of minutes, okay, and then we're going to wrap things up. And so take this or leave it if you want to. But this is kind of a historical observation. You know, atheists are always saying, man, if we could just get rid of religion, how much better things would be. I mean, we were raised baby boomers, right, on John Lennon, Imagine. Imagine there's no religion. It's easy if you can. You know, you, you just imagine it's not there. Then everybody would be peace and harmony. If just atheists could be in control. Well, you know, it's, it's been tried. It's been tried. It's called North and South Korea is what it's called. It's called Korea. It's 60 years ago, we had an historical experiment. Korea, Korean Peninsula. Identical cultures. You can't make an excuse and say, well, one culture this way, one culture another. Identical cultures. They cut it in half. They let the atheists run the northern part, and they let the Christians run the southern part. Now, not really run it. It's not a theocracy. But Christianity, fastest growing place in the world is South Korea. Biggest church in the world is in Seoul, Korea. A church, one church of almost a million people in Seoul, Korea. Do you know that South Korea has now passed the America, United States of America, even though it's a much smaller country, has now passed the United States of America, number one mission-sending country in the world, has now passed our country, much bigger country, much smaller country, is now the number one mission-sending country in the world. So the explosion of Christianity in the South, run by atheist communists in the North, we watch it for 60 years and we pull the lid off of it, and what do we have? North Korea one of the worst, if not the worst, nations in the world, 
South Korea, one of the most blessed and prosperous within the world. There's an example. Atheists in charge, Christians taking the lead. They just got it right there. Let me do one more tangent on top of a tangent. We're honoring veterans this weekend. And one of the groups of veterans that often gets overlooked is Korean War veterans. It's actually their generation is called the silent generation because they're in between the big World War II generation and the baby boom generation. So sandwich in between is called the silent generation, the generation of Korean War vets. But let me just do a shout out to you Korean War vets. What a job you did. What a job you did. You protected, you prevented the South from becoming like the North in Korea. And there is no stark contrast in all of human history than between North Korea and South Korea. And we honor you and we honor all veterans and we honor you this weekend. And then number four, he resisted the light and the heat. You know what will happen if we don't respond to the light? God turns up the heat. I wish I was smart enough to just respond when I see the light. Just, oh, God says to do this. I see the light. I think I'll change. You know what? I don't always change when I see the light, but I often change when I feel the heat. How many of you are like me? Okay. And so he turns up the heat. And you can read this, these last few verses on your own. But, but the one I want to key is at the end of verse 12, he gets this disease. Not all disease is from sin. As a matter of fact, most disease is not from sin. But a tiny portion of it is from sin. And so God tries to get his attention through this foot disease. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord. But only from the physicians. Now, we believe at our church you get the best medical help you can and you get the best prayer help you can. And that's why in just a minute we're going to close and the door is going to open on our deacon's prayer room and they're going to pray with you according to James chapter 5 where it says anoint with oil. And we literally do that because it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. But also Bible scholars believe there's a medical part to this because back then one of the main ways you treat people is rub them with oil. And so we believe this passage, we do the literal part, anoint with oil and pray. But, but in addition to that, we believe, there's a, we believe you get the best medical help. This verse is saying get the best medical help you can, but then get prayed for by the leadership of the church. And so whether it's a physical need or a relational need or some other need that you might have, financial need you'd like prayer for, they would just love to pray with you as soon as the service is over. Now, I just want to end with this last verse because this is encouraging. Um, verses 13 and 14. Then in the 41st year of his reign, Asa died and rested with his ancestors. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut out for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bier covered with spices and various blended perfumes, and they made a huge fire in his honor. Let me just end with the good news. Asa's in heaven. And as a matter of fact, he's honored in heaven. Just because you stumble late in life doesn't mean you're not forgiven, you're not on your way to heaven, you got a relationship with God through Christ, doesn't mean you're not even honored. But how much more effective could his life have been if he had not finished poorly? And that's what I'm saying. You know, our salvation is not by works, it's by the grace of Christ and Christ alone. He's in heaven, he's even honored for his faithfulness to the Lord. But how much better if we could run the second half of our race as well as we ran the first half of our race. Not just start well, 
but finish well. And by the grace of God, we want to be a church of finishers, not just starters, until Jesus comes back. Anybody want to say amen to that? Hey, let's stand up for our benediction, okay? And just a reminder, as I just said, the prayer room is open over here. Just a reminder, grab a hold of one of these momentum packets in the lobby or the exits uh, as you leave today. Love for you to grab a hold of one of those. Um, Get one of those wristbands if you want to at the Resource Center as just a reminder of the principles uh, that we've been uh, talking about. So I want to close with uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, and all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.